Well, we're going to wrap up our little series through the book of Revelation. This is the fourth message in that series. And if Jesus Christ comes in in our lifetime, which he might, this could well be a very important sermon for all of us because it's about being prepared for that eventuality. Now, um, the book of Revelation is a very complicated book, and so I want to just recap what I spoke about last week. There, there are really four different ways that people approach the book of Revelation, uh, almost like lenses that you can put on that help you understand the book. And the first view is that of the preterists, who think that most of the book of Revelation, if not all of us, was fulfilled in the first century. The historicists say, no, the book of Revelation covers the period from the first coming of Christ uh, to his second coming, and that we're the Laodicean church, for example. The futurists, these are the guys that make all the money with their books, this is the exciting stuff. They are the ones that say, no, most of the book of Revelation from chapter 6 onwards really talks about those last couple of years before Jesus returns. And the idealists are the cool, calm, collected types that say, no, this book is just a picture of symbols, uh, good winning over evil. I also asked you what you thought of the, what you think the future is going to be like. And certainly most of the people at the 8 o'clock service thought the world is going one way, and that is down. And we almost see that that is the picture, unfortunately, that the Bible paints. Jesus asked the question, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on earth? Will there be a, a strong church, people who are godly? Jesus also, in his description about the end times in Matthew 24 and Mark 13, had a very good heart-to-heart -heart discussion with the disciples. And there he told them that uh, there are many terrible things that are going to happen to this world. Lots of wars and rumors of wars, famines, earthquakes, pestilence. Terrible things are going to happen in the last days. And it's a little bit like birth pains before a woman gives birth. You start off with a few hicks, and before you know it, uh, there are contractions, and they get more intense as time goes by and closer and closer together. So birth pains uh, is really the metaphor of what the end is going to be like. And then we did a nice overview of the book of Revelation, and we saw that chapter 6 to 16, there are fundamentally three things going on that we need to know about. There's a scroll with seven seals on it, and as Jesus opens each seal, something happens here on earth. The first four, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, uh, a picture of the militarization and, and warfare on earth, conflict, famine, disease, and epidemics. The book of Revelation talks about the persecution of Christians, there being many martyrs, and even cosmic upheavals, all ending with a massive earthquake. So these are the seven seals. Then there are the seven trumpets. There are angels in heaven blowing trumpets in those chapters, and each time a trumpet is blown, something terrible happens here on earth. 
And that's what's described, the scorched earth, the sea being polluted, contaminated water, uh, locusts with the power to hurt people for five months. We'll look at that in detail in a moment. And again, the earthquake. Then there are the seven bowls of wrath, and the picture is of a person pouring boiling oil or whatever it is on top of someone's head as they try to break into a city, uh, up the wall of the city. There's a bowl of wrath, as it were, poured out. And these mimic the plagues that we see in the book of Exodus that happened in Egypt. And again, they end with an earthquake. And we try to understand, are these seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls of wrath, are they describing the same events, different events? There seems to be some kind of sequence, and perhaps this is it, all ending with this massive seventh thing, which is a huge earthquake. And fundamentally, the book of Revelation is really about God pouring out his wrath on humankind and on this planet. And for that reason, it's not very pleasant to read. Uh, but that is, I'm afraid, the message of this book. And the whole purpose of God doing this is that he's hoping people are going to repent of their sins. It's God revealing his wrath, as Paul talks about already in Romans 1. But in the book of Revelation, verse 9, people are experiencing these plagues, verse 20 of chapter 9 rather, but we're told still they won't repent of their sins. Verse 21, nor will they repent of their sin. Revelation 16 again, these acts of judgment are happening to people, but still they won't repent. And again in uh, verse 11 of that chapter. So that's what we covered last week, and you can get the tape of that. Look, tape. Ooh. You can get the digital recording of that if you're interested. Today we uh, are going to delve in deep into the sixth seal and the seventh trumpet. Aren't you excited? I've, I've realized that we're not going to be able to cover everything I said we would cover today. There is absolutely no ways we can deal with the rapture, Armageddon, the fall of Babylon, the great prostitute, and so the list goes on. So I've tried to focus on those things that are the least controversial and that are actually the most important for us to get our heads around. One of the clearest signs that the, the end of the world as we know it is going to be near will be signs in the heavens. Signs in the heavens. Cosmic upheavals. And it's very easy for us to dismiss the references in the Bible to these things as being just poetic. You know, that was a nice way to say something. Or are these things actually meant to be taken literally? Our universe is actually incredibly stable. I learned this past week uh, that all spinning objects kind of wobble a little bit. Do you know that when you spin a top, it, it, it wobbles? It's called precession. And the earth has a wobble, but you can relax because it only completes a wobble once every 26,000 years which just goes to show that our planet is actually pretty stable, and evil the wobble is quite an ordered thing. And our Earth, some people say, it's, it's the most slowest 
thing that wobbles that's ever been observed of any spinning object. So we're living in a very stable environment, which we can be grateful for. But the Bible teaches us that before Jesus comes again, some of those birth pains are going to be cosmic upheavals and things going wrong. There are going to be signs in the heavens. Jesus says in Mark 13, false Christs are going to appear and false prophets. And in those days, following that distress, that's a reference to the three and a half years of intense tribulation and hard times for people that the Bible talks about many times. The sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky. And the heavenly bodies will be shaken. So this is Jesus talking about signs in the heavens. He says the same thing in Matthew 24. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky. And when you see these things, know that it is near, right at the door. Even Peter on the day of Pentecost when he's quoting Joel, he talks about, this is what Joel said, these are people being filled with the Spirit. And then he goes on to say, and I will show wonders in the heavens above and on earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And friends, I believe this to be literally true. This really is going to happen, and this is going to be the sign that Jesus' coming is very close. What is the sixth seal? It's all about signs in the heavens. And coincidentally, we read about the sixth seal in the sixth chapter of the book of Revelation. And here it is. I watch Jesus, that's who it is, open the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black. The whole moon turned blood red. And the stars in the sky fell to earth as late figs drop from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. Quite a graphic picture, is it not? This is the sixth seal. It describes stars falling and hitting the earth like figs fall out of a tree when they're very ripe and there's a strong wind blowing. What happens when meteorites hit this earth? Well, the best documented case of a meteorite hitting the earth, although it didn't quite hit the earth because it exploded five kilometers above the earth, but in Tunguska, if anyone speaks Russian, you can tell me how to pronounce that properly, but on the 30th of June, 1908, it was the largest ever impact of a meteorite. It flattened 2,000 square kilometers of forest. And amazingly, no one was killed. It's Russia. It was you know, up there in Siberia where nobody lives. This thing was between 60 and 190 meters long, and it released the energy of a thousand times the bomb at Hiroshima. So that's just what happened when a 
a relatively small 100 meters across meteorite hit this earth. And we're told that before Christ comes, we should expect a few more. There was another meteorite that landed in Russia. It seems to be the go-to place for meteorites. 2013, on the 15th of February, a meteorite a mere 17 meters in diameter exploded 24 kilometers above the earth. It only released the equivalent of 30 times Hiroshima atomic bomb. And people were, were injured and thousands of buildings were destroyed. Russians usually have webcams on their cars. For insurance purposes, I've been led to believe. That's why you'll find a lot of Russian footage of crazy accidents and stuff like this. But here's a guy who caught this meteorite exploding in the air. You can see the headline on CNN. Pistorius broke down, uncontrollably shot, crying. So that gives you a, a date stamp. These guys got very excited because... Um, just the other day, a, a little meteorite landed on their farm in Richmond. They were very excited. So this stuff does happen. And did you know that last month, we were almost completely wiped out as, as, a, as a civilization? Because, um, what is this thing? TC, asteroid 2012 TC4 is only 30 meters in size. Um, and it skimmed us at 6,800 kilometers. So that was a very near miss, and that was only last month. But we're not going to be so lucky in the future. Other signs of Christ's coming described in the sixth seal is going to be earthquakes where the mountains move and islands shift. So there's going to be tectonic upheavals. These things can't be humanly produced. We'll know it's, it's God. Let's talk a little bit about the fifth trumpet. And I want you to imagine if you were John in the first, first century, if God gave you a vision of 2,000 years down the line, how would you describe what you saw? using first century concepts and, and ideas. The idea of a, a heavy metal object flying through the air w was almost unthinkable. Only 1,600 years later did uh, Leonardo da Vinci think of the helicopter, at least draw that little sketch of a thing that would, of course, never fly. But he at least had the idea. But how does John describe what he sees. He describes modern warfare in first century terms. He refers to things as, as being like locusts. He says, I saw locusts. They were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads, they wore crowns of gold. Their faces resembled human faces. Could that be the screen of a, a helicopter gunship cockpit? Their hair was like woman's hair. Could that refer to the, the vapor train behind modern jets and, and vehicles? They had breastplates like breastplates of iron. 
and the sound of their wings, that's what he calls them, were like the thundering of many horses and chariots running into battle. I think he could well be describing helicopters. Don't they look a little bit like locusts if you being privileged to see the future? That's the description. And these things have a sting in their tail. And they're able to inflict pain on people, God's people. Revelation chapter 9, the locusts came down. They were given power like that of scorpions. But they didn't harm the land or the plants, only people. And they could inflict pain on God's people, those that don't have the mark of the beast upon them. Do you know where modern warfare is heading? The idea is not so much to kill people anymore. That's kind of very 20th century. The idea is to control people, to have their people are developing today compliance weapons, pain-inducing weapons, weapons that don't kill, but they can punish people that are causing trouble. And that's almost the thing that is being described here that these flying things that make a hang of a lot of noise can inflict pain on people for five months. Is that some kind of nuclear thing, electromagnetic pulse goody? Who knows what it is? But that's what John sees, and I find it very interesting. And then John describes for us two dictators that arise in the Middle East. Remember Jesus' warning in Mark 13, false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and miracles to deceive even the elect if that were possible. In Revelation 13, there's the description of what are called beasts. They're so evil, even though they're human. John doesn't want to call them people. He says they're beasts. And verse 3 says, one of the heads of the beast seems to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. Maybe someone tried to assassinate this person in the process of their rise to power. And the whole world was astonished and followed the beast. And he's blasphemous and he persecutes Christians for 42 months. Very specific, that's three and a half Yes. And verse 7 is chilling. He was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them. And he was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. All whose names have not been written in the book of life. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear. Who are these two dreadful individuals? The one is a political figure and the other his prime minister, who is also a religious personality. What do we know about the, the beast or the antichrist who's going to come to power and rule the world in a totalitarian fashion, forcing Christians out of commerce and forcing his own followers to have his mark upon them. Who is this dictator going to be? 
We don't know, but when he arises, we'll know. He also has a false prophet, kind of a religious sidekick, who has delegated authority. Verse 12, this is the false prophet. He exercised the authority of the first beast on his behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship, worship the first beast. And they set up what John describes as an image. I mean, could that be some kind of hologram, some kind of television picture? In the old days of the Roman Empire, you had to offer incense to, to Caesar. What's going to be the modern equivalent of that? And Christians are going to be persecuted. And of course, much has been written about verse 16. The beast, he forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. This calls for wisdom. If anyone has insight, let him calculate the number of the beast, for it is man's number. His number is 666. That's some more info about the beasts and all the terrible things he gets up to. Bullet four is important. Only those who submit to these two characters can participate in trade and commerce and the economic system. And the key to doing so is going to be that you bear his mark. Let's look first at the beast's number. What is this 666? Well, for starters, it could be all the numbers summed on a roulette wheel. Okay, that's not the case, but that does add up to six. <laughs> 666 is a lucky number in China, and those of you that are scared of the number 666, that's what your condition is called. The most likely explanation why we're told, if you're smart, you can work out the number of the beast. That's what John says. In um, many cultures and languages, letters can serve as numbers. And if, like our Roman numerals, the V and the I and the X, etc., those are, are numbers when you put them together. And so it's called Gematria, and Nero Caesar, who was the first bad guy for these guys who received this book. You can transliterate his name using the, the letters as numbers, and that comes out as 666. There's another fascinating example that was found on some graffiti in the city of Pompeii that you know was destroyed by a volcano. It's what I like to think of as the first ever hashtag. And what was written, what got tagged, was, I love her whose number is 545. 545 is a hash. In other words, you can't work backwards to, to work out. You can only work the one way. Let me not say too much about that. So there are many options that it could be, but you can fill in the name. And so it is with 666. 
The number seven, too, in the Bible is the number of perfection. And so 666 is kind of often seen sometimes as that number where you're trying to be God, but you're not quite cracking it. What is the mark of the beast? We looked at the scripture elsewhere. Could it be a tattoo? Could it be a radio frequency ID chip? Here's a guy many years ago receiving a chip under, under his skin. Any of you work for companies where they've already tagged you like this? There are some companies in the world that provide security into certain rooms. There's a club in Amsterdam where you can pay for your drink at the bar if you're a regular. This stuff is real. Are we going to get implants? Is that what the mark of the beast is? Or should we opt for a more metaphorical view, working off Deuteronomy 6, where God has told us to wrap his word around our arms and, the, and around our foreheads? Is, is that kind of the devil's equivalent of what God's people were doing? My advice to you, whatever it is, don't get it because that signs you over to the wrong side. As we wrap up, let's talk about the glorious return of Jesus. And thankfully for me, we're not going to talk about the rapture, the great tribulation, or the millennium. Aren't you glad? But we are going to talk about the glorious return of Jesus. Because this is something that we all agree on. The first time Jesus came to this world, he was as a vulnerable baby. But when he comes again, he's not going to be gentle, Jesus, meek and mild, being kind to everybody. Those days are going to be long gone. When Jesus comes again to this planet... After all this persecution, after all this evil, after the beast and the false prophet have been doing their thing and causing havoc on this planet, when Jesus comes again, he's going to have a sword coming out of his mouth and he's going to be dressed in a robe dipped in blood. And he's going to strike down the nations and rule them with an iron scepter. And he's going to tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. What's this image here? In the old days when you made wine, you got your winepress, you chucked in the grapes, and you stomped all over it. Well, you paid somebody else to stomp all over it. And then they had red feet for a few weeks. That's the picture of what Jesus is going to do to those who have opposed his reign in their lives. He's going to stomp all over them with fury. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God. This isn't some angel. This is Jesus in action. This is a picture of what it's going to be like when he returns. And there are going to be two great suppers. One of the suppers is the marriage feast of the Lamb. 
And we all want to get invited to that great supper. The other supper is when you get to be the supper. Verse 17, I saw an angel standing who cried out in a loud voice to the birds, come gather together for the great supper of God. These are vultures being called to eat up all the corpses of the dead so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals and mighty men, horses and riders, flesh of people, small and great. This is not Sunday school stuff. This is not Jesus meek and mild. And verse 20 tells us, The beast was captured, and with him the false prophet, who'd performed the miraculous signs. Don't be fooled by miraculous signs. It's not always God. And the two of them are thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Just as I wrap up, do you notice how Joel speaks about the return of Christ? We all think return of Christ, whoop, whoop, it's going to be such fun, Jesus coming. Joel describes the return of Christ in verse 31. This is the Pentecost prophecy that gets quoted. Verse 30, I'll show the signs in the heavens and on earth going to be blood. We know why. Fire and billows of smoke. The sun's going to go dark. That's because of the dust in the air from the meteorite setting. The moon's going to turn red. That's because of the diffraction of the light. Refraction. All this is going to happen before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Many of you don't think of great and dreadful. You think great and glorious. And you can thank the NIV for that. Because that's how it gets translated in Acts chapter 2. But this is the original prophecy that is being quoted. And the Greek is great is going to be the mega day. And it's going to be not, not so much glorious. But the, the Greek is epiphanous the great and revealing day, the glorious day, when we will see Jesus as he is. It's going to be a great day for those of us that know Jesus. It is going to be a dreadful day for those that don't. How does the book end? Jesus speaking, Behold, I'm coming soon, and my reward is with me. I am the Alpha and Omega. Blessed are those who wash their robes. There's preparation we need to do on our side. That they may have the right to the tree of life and may go into the gates of the city, the new Jerusalem. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let her take the free gift of the water of life. Come, Lord Jesus, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people.
And that's how the book of Revelation ends, with an invitation to anybody who's far from God, anybody who's, who's not living a life pleasing to God, to, to be saved. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I've uh, given a special request to the worship team today. Guys, you can come on up. They're going to lead us in singing glory, glory, hallelujah. And 